Hi everyone, this is Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus, and David Silver is by my side. And uh, we, the guru is back. It's just one of those days that we got lucky. Duncan Trussell is back with us, and welcome to the show. Man, I am so excited about the day that you stop calling me guru. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never, absolutely never. Um, so I was saying today that, uh, uh, actually, while we were awaiting your arrival earlier, uh, I was showing David a film, okay? Oh, this is like, oh. to even mention it is is almost, it, it feels like intruding on one of the most intimate yeah. scenes you have ever seen in your it's life. It's like TMZ. It's wow. awful. <laughs> What is it? What happened is, okay, so now, of course, this involves Ramdas. Ramdas was in Maui. It was around Christmas time, a couple of a few months ago, right? And KK Shah, who is our uh, mentor, who was with us when we were with Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba in India, who you met at the retreat, yes, correct? I did. Yes. And he. So you get a sense, right? You got a sense of who he is. He's this extraordinarily sensitive and finely tuned human being, right? Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, who's just all his his whole thing is about family love. That is his, and that's what he gave to us. He was the first person that Ramdas was. Uh, he was the translator first time Ramdas was with Maharaji. And he was uh, Ramdas was sent to KK's house, and he was to feed him and take care of him, and that, so that was their first meeting all those years ago. Cool, right? So he has come back since to America every once in a while, and this last time he came, which was the end of last year in December, uh, but w before he was to leave to go back to India, there was a moment. When they got together, I got them together on Skype, okay? They, so they were alone in the room, and I left the room to do something, and then I was going to come back. But I left it for, I don't know, 10 minutes or something. Oh, cool. For the entire time. So they both knew this could be the last time they would communicate like this, right? Yes. I mean, they could do Skype from India, but <laughs> his phone barely works. Never mind Skype. Uh, so they did not say one word. The, the entire time that I was out of the room, which was 10 or 12 minutes. Wow. Ramdas was just completely, absolutely free of any bullshit whatsoever, even being Ramdas Ness. Nothing. No. It was nothing. just, yeah. right, Dave? Yeah. I just showed, Dave never saw this before. I was stunning. This Duncan. is all because you were late. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. So this wow. never would have happened cool. without Yeah, that. it is, right. So, Duncan, the screen, the screen is split, right? And you got KK on the left and Ramdas on the right. Ramdas is quite close to the camera, so it's sort of a full, the full Monty of his face, which you know <laughs> is quite something, with very little expression but a lot of sort of nothingness going on, just him. And KK's on the left, and he is just every twenty-five seconds bursting into tears. Yeah. Wow. He couldn't <laughs> handle, I mean, the, the, the love and loss and the, the possible, uh, everything was ripped. It was large, just too much. But it wasn't, it was just, he, he just absolutely couldn't contain all of the emotions of all of these years and, and in his relationship. And then he'd get into it and he'd smile. And he'd be right there with Ramdas, and they'd both be smiling. I mean, I tell you, it was in, that, that's why it was such an intimate thing. And I, so I, the only, the reason I'm bringing it up, I mean, one day, you know, hopefully people could see this because it's extraordinary exchange. And I guess the reason I bring it up and uh, around us being together doing this podcast today, and just the, uh, you know the remembrance of. This wouldn't have been possible, and we say that, and you know, we kid around with the guru stuff, but in reality, there is uh, an absolutely uh, the grand intelligence play on this one to have you in in this seat and uh, generate th this stuff is is pretty far out, and wow, and cool. that so that intimacy to me is just 
because you talk about you and you talk about some of the some of the listeners that you have we have and uh there's always this concern around i cannot believe this shit the miracles right all of that kinds doubt cynicism whatever it may be oh yes right right yes and in but in in this case this example of of the completely um naked you know ramdas just being completely what he talks about completely yeah. present in the moment with kk who's completely lost in love yeah. that kind of intimacy it can happen that's what i was right. thinking dave it, it that what they they're human beings they're no different than us right and it so it's it points to the p- human potential just like it did when we were with Nim Karoli baba that's so the, cool yeah the human potential of it i love that yeah i i um you know i've i've been <clears throat> paying a lot of attention to uh just because i've some of the work i've been doing lately has been with uh people involved in uh technology specifically artificial intelligence and uh robotics and a lot of people who are very familiar with uh or or, or you know use ray kurzweil's a law of accelerating returns as a method to plan business and to develop products. And so I've been looking really deeply into the law of accelerating returns, which is the idea that the time period that we're existing in right now is one where we're seeing an exponential acceleration in uh, technological innovation, specifically Moore's law uh, which is that every two years, the number of, I guess, transistors you can fit on a circuit board double, which means that every two years, computers become twice as fast. Um, and you know the impact that powerful computers have had on society because we're experiencing it right now and the ability to instantaneously communicate with each other with almost perfectly clear video and audio across the country. That's amazing. And the fact that technology captured that rare private moment between those two beings is is incredible because that moment never in the course of human history could have been captured outside of anything more than someone having witnessed it and being able to relate what they saw. So you add to that the potential to broadcast that moment uh, to the world and the cost of that broadcast being nothing, negligible, nothing, yet mm-hmm. that packet of love that you captured digitally can now be eternally mm-hmm. transmitted to the entire planet for the rest of time. And that's what Kurzweil is talking about when he talks about how we are entering into this incredible point in human history. and. Uh, which is why I think that the network that you've created is so, so important. And any network or any uh, group of people that are using technology to try to, to their best of their ability, put that energy that you're talking about out into the world, uh, that is such a, it's such an important time to be doing that. And Simultaneously, it's important to recognize how important, how dark it is what's happening with with other people who've gotten a hold of this technology and are using it to transmit awful stuff. People punching each other, setting each other on fire, buildings exploding. So here you have this amazing tool, which creates this explosive, exponentially amplifying ripple of energy throughout the world instantaneously and you can see the different ways people are choosing to use it some people use it for fun sports whatever walking dead that kind of stuff it's great some people use it for making money off of broadcasting awful things to the world and that's the nancy graces and the uh any news network that's 
unnecessarily showing awful things to sell phones. And then you have people like you guys who are actively working as hard as you can to digitize, to digitize uh, this information that you've received and get it out into the world. And man, I think that is the most incredible thing to do. And you cannot underestimate how potent it is. In fact, I don't think you can estimate how potent it is because you don't know yet. Because this stuff that we're playing around with here, it's brand new. There was no internet when Maharaji was here, and there was no internet when Ramdas was writing Be Here Now. This is brand new. And so the, sin, the, the symbiosis between consciousness or this philosophy that both of you are so good at articulating and this technology, uh, I think it, it's going to create something that we can't even imagine because it's impossible for us to imagine because we don't know what's going to happen in the next 15 years as the technology continues to accelerate. Right, right. You know, we're yeah. doing a crowdfunding campaign for this network, and uh, you, you just are our spokesman. This Great. What you just said is exactly what it is that we had intended and what we tried to do. Uh, David and I did a little thing earlier today. So, uh, yeah, you, you know, to me, the miracle of it is not only that, but that it's fun. It's actually enjoyable to do. It's very self sort of cleansing in a funny kind of way, because yes. it's not normal in the sense that, you know, you're having a conversation with your neighbor or your friend or your girlfriend or your mother or something. But it becomes that, as you very well know, Duncan, after a while, you know, that timbre in the voice, which denotes realness as much as you can, rather than the. Good evening, this is Scott Pelly. You know, I mean, which is fine, I suppose. But I must say that recently I was watching the news and I just thought, why the fuck do these guys talk like this over 50 yes. years? Haven't they grown? I mean, can't they just say, you know, hello, it's Scott Pelly, and um, it's a real weird night tonight. I mean, somebody just <laughs> crashed a plane into a mountain. What the hell is going on? Yeah. And I mean, I, okay, so that's not news. But to get back to what I was saying, the miracle is the sort of, quantumness of this that we're talking and as you say you know this is just the new absolutely new and we're pretty old as human beings go we're able to adapt to it instantaneously despite what people say about old people all the time which is bullshit you know which pisses me off because i now i'm at that stage we adapt to it we get into it it becomes mm. our life we forget all that undemocratic media that existed before you know yes. when we were just talked to and we never talked back so it is, it's such a miracle on so many levels. I think it's a very stimulating thing that you just said, Duncan, because, you know, just think of it. You go out and you talk in front of live audiences. Then you talk on a podcast, and it's different, but it's all the same continuum. It's fantastic. It really That's is. That's right. You know? Yeah. It's that real voice. I mean... It is. That authenticity. It's the authenticity. Yes, it is. And, and I think, hopefully... And this is something I've always loved about Ramdas, and this is why I gravitated towards Ramdas in the first place, is because the thing that he teaches is all about authenticity. And it's all it's not about that, you know, how many people if we have the reporter cadence that you're talking about, then we also have a million other cadences that people are you know, that that form the rhythm of people's lives. So you run into certain people and you're not running into an authentic person. You're running into a person who's doing a cadence mm. uh, and the cadence is whatever their particular profession is. Like a doctor, for example. When you get around a doctor, the doctor cadence, you know, it's a very specific way that they have of talking to you. Or if you get around someone who's a cashier, the cashier cadence, the waiter cadence, the cadence that you get when you talk to somebody who's a uh, – you owe money to at Verizon or the cadence that you – when somebody wants to sell you something – and then you realize that, oh, my God, what's my cadence? Because I bet part of my cadence exactly. is, not, is, is also not real. Uh, mm. and, and then this medium, somehow, it invites you to get underneath whatever your particular cadence of, of choice is to, the, to, to what's down there. Uh, and that's auth whatever authenticity is. And I think Ramdas uh, best articulated that when he said, we're all God in drag, that we're mm. all putting on this show um yeah. and i and i love that this medium encourages uh 
to get underneath that or at least to contemplate getting underneath it. Yeah, it's how you use it mostly, not what it is. To there, and there's so many shades of it, aren't there? I mean, I was listening to a podcast a couple of months ago of, you know, a guy in, I guess it was Wisconsin or something. I'm sorry not to be patronizing about that. It was a Midwestern state. And he was just talking, you know, and he was talking, and he wasn't being sort of simplistic or dumb or anything. He was saying, talking about his day and what was going on, and he was very natural. And, you know, I, I, I loved it. I stuck with it, even though it was sort of like watching an Andy Warhol film. It was mm. him real without any, oh, what can you say, any radio cadence. It was just, mm. you know, John Smith and in Madison or whatever, and feeling that he had the right to talk and that were definitely people listening because he mentioned names. Hello, John. How are you doing today? That's cool. But it wasn't a phone call. It was something else. It's completely new. You're right, Duncan. I mean, we just got to be, can't take it for granted because then we'll get cadences about it and we'll start oh, having, yeah. a, having a podcast okay cadence. Cadence are fun. I mean, it's fun when you see yourself doing one. You can just be like, wow, look, I'm really putting it on here. It's kind of cool. <laughs> like but... calling the Verizon people. Yeah. What do you mean the internet is not working right now? They talk about yeah, cadence voice. that we, yeah, we, oh yes. boy, I've got a lot of cadences. That's a, I love that term. I mean, it's a real thing. It is absolutely real. Um, Dave, I want you to, uh, yeah. please. Yeah. Dave told a story yesterday, which leads into something else that I've got to uh, talk about. Um, and uh, can, can you tell the Republican story, the uh, story of your potential entry into the Republican Party? Oh, yes. This is great. Oh, but it sounds so self Oh, come on. We love okay, it. Okay, so years ago, I did a thing about homelessness. It was a, a little film. And then a thing called the National Coalition, Coalition to End Homelessness got on me and said, you should do several of these. And I was very happy to do it, you know, and it certainly wasn't money, but it was it was good. And, you know, I came up with the idea, this is way before the internet. This is in the 1986, I think it was. And I thought, you know, where does it really work? Where do people take care of the homeless? Let's go there, film it, and then send it to all the other cities. And if they're dumb enough not to pay attention, that's their problem, but we're going to try. So I did that, and we, we actually found something in Seattle, I think, and significantly, I think most of the places were in the Pacific Northwest or in Western Canada. I don't know why that was the case. So I did this, and then um, uh, there was a the National Coalition to End Homelessness was headed by a woman called Susan Baker, who was Jim Baker's wife. And wow. strange enough, this morning in the Times, Sunday Times, there's an article about Jim Baker vehemently disagreeing with Jeb Bush about Israel, oh, even though he's an advisor. He still has the cojones to do that. I never hated this guy for some reason, thank God. Anyway, Susan was his wife. And she liked the film. I did another one. She loved the, the writing. And she called me out of the blue in my house. Said, this is Susan Baker. And I said, uh, really? Uh. Yes. She said, listen, we, we like your words so much that, you know, Jim and I are doing a lot of things together. And we kind of thought it would be nice if you could be our speechwriter. And, you know, I did a big gulp, you know, no question about it. I thought, whoa, I am somebody. I have become somebody. <laughs> and I, you know, and I struggled with it for a minute and just sort of made small talk with her. And then I said, she said, well, do you want to do it? You know, we can pay you quite well and everything. And I had to say no, because, you know, I really detested Reagan. I was pretty neutral about Baker, but Reagan to me was a very bad influence upon the social uh, contract. In other words, he turned America around to think there was no social contract and people should mm. just be left to flounder and that the government had nothing to do with helping those who were disenfranchised or in any way un unfortunate. And I was really upset about this, so I couldn't do it. And, you know, I thought, I've thought about it in the 28 years since or something. I thought, wow, you know, that little binary thing in my head that goes do it, don't do it, said don't do it. And here I am with you and Raghu and still in the company of great, you know, great teachers and influencers. Yeah, but meanwhile, he could have been a speechwriter for Reagan, right? Yeah, or for a or Reaganite. For, or yeah. Reaganite, for the Republican Party. He could have infiltrated into the Republican <laughs> Party to perhaps 
uh, yeah. put a stop to some of the stuff. And, and this is some of the stuff uh, that I noticed. This is... Isn't that uh, something? This is kind of news you, from you, the end of the world. We do a little news from the end of the world. Oh, let's hear. Like the, did you, I get, I don't know if you heard about the guru who cut off all his devotees' testicles. Did you hear? I that? heard about yeah, that. You did, eh? I knew you would. <laughs> yeah, I did hear about that. I saw it. I saw it surface on the. Uh, are you going to read something? Do you have something to read? Yeah, I want to read something. Just a little something. Let's hear. Okay, so this is uh, it's from the Times. It's called Traitors to Their Class. So what we're talking about here uh, is they talk about John Boehner, right, who worked as a bartender and a janitor, right? Took seven years to get out of college. What about Scott Walker of Wisconsin, a preacher's son who churned out burgers and fries at McDonald's, right? And then you had Senator Joni Ernst put bread bags over her shoes while growing up poor in rural Iowa, right? mm. So people from humble beginnings, this is by Tim Egan at, uh, at the time, Timothy Egan, people from humble beginnings often carry an extra load of empathy through the success of their later lives, a sense that with a few bad breaks, things could have gone the other way. Mm. And then there's the party of tough luck, pal. In the case of the three Republican leaders cited above and most of those who aspire to be GOP presidential nominees next year, these Horatio Algerians for the new Gilded Age are working to keep the downtrodden down. They are traitors to their class with all the strutting moral superior superiority that comes with the conversion. Ernst, the lump of coal-hearted new senator from Iowa, and Walker, who always seems to be promoting something that needs actuarial tables to disguise, at times sound as if they actively despise the poor. Mm. Yeah, wow. we wanted to. We wanted to. Uh, well, actually, it's great that Raga read that because I actually said to him half an hour ago, "Can we talk to Duncan a little bit about political stuff?" Uh, because sure. I, I'm really interested in, in your take on all of that. So, what do you think of that? That that kind of turnaround. Well, I, so I think that you're the. It's so fun to consider all the things getting in the way of you helping people. You taught me that, Raghu. It's fun to think about that. Like I think I've, you always have a, a list of excuses to not help people. And one thing that I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, about Skid Row downtown and just, my God, if you want to, it's just this insane tent city of heroin addicts and they're allowed to be there. My friend's like, we, that's a, th this is a problem. We have, this is something you need to fix. You don't just leave it out there. You need to fix it. And I said, well, how do you fix it? What do you do? And he's like, well, the government needs to figure out how to fix this. And that kind of idolatry where you take this ambiguous idea of this thing called the government, which is just this semi-malfunctioning, schizophrenic <laughs> corporation filled with countless individuals who all have countless motivations for all of the things that they're doing. And you want this behemoth to somehow solve these problems in the world and the fixation that so we start fixating on it. I do, you know, I start fixating on it and all the, each new Republican candidate that emerges from the muck, you shudder and think, my God, what if that guy gets elected? I guess that's it. We're all up in flames. And you, and then you look at the the whoever their the opposition is, and you think, oh God, there's there's no way they're going to beat whoever has the most money, even though what they're saying seems to be right, and the whole thing's messed up. And all that time that you've been thinking about that, you could have been doing five thousand things to help the people living right around you. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that you've said to me, Argu, that's really stuck with me, uh, and always comes back to me, which is we work on ourselves so we can help the people closest to us. And uh, so, yeah, I think the government is one of many avenues to create change in the world. And, and politics is certainly uh, one way that has made great changes happen in the world, in, in history. Great change, not all bad, great changes in history after lots of fighting, lots of fighting, you know, uh, that preceded the, it's like the government is the last the government is radio, and and radio plays the most popular stuff. But for that popular stuff to emerge onto the radio, 
most people are not aware of the massive amount of energy and effort that went into getting a certain song to become popular and all the cooks in the kitchen and all the work that had to get done to make this tiny little four minute tune float up into eventually into radio or all the hidden underground fans and all the people who knew about the band before they got big and all that stuff that happened. I think governments like that, where laws emerge after a long, long battle and process and a lot of energy and a lot of people, that's when the shift happens. So um, you get people like Rick Doblin, for example, who is this amazing human who's working on getting MDMA prescribed for veterans. And he's been around for a while. He's an activist, and he recognizes that the substance has some real application in the world. And finally, after God knows how long this guy's been working, finally, right now, the, he's like going into the Pentagon and having meetings with people about having MDMA prescribed. But it, you, don't, you only hear about that. You don't hear about the 15 or 20 years preceding those meetings uh, and all the work that went into getting this particular psychoactive substance accepted. So politics can distract us in the most extreme way and disempower us. Because when you're like, oh, that government, the government needs to do this. Why won't the government do this? You're ceding your power to this completely invisible thing. It's a, we don't even know what it is. The government is just a mutual agreement that a certain number of people have made re regarding a, a particular game that we're all playing. And the game, the agreement is that there's some group of people that hangs out in Washington, DC, uh, that in some way have control over everything, but that's ridiculous. Those people don't come to your house when you're choking on an, on, on, <laughs> on food. Those people aren't driving the ambulances to your house. Those people aren't teaching your kids. Those people aren't cleaning up the streets in your neighborhood. Those people aren't doing anything like that. The people who have to do that stuff, it's us. And we have to do this based not on some political ideology, but on a more basic concept that you guys have taught me, which is this idea that simultaneously, as we work on ourselves to awaken as part of that practice, whenever we can, we try to alleviate the suffering and the people around us. And if we aren't able to do that, we apply mindfulness to that deficit. And somehow that act of mindfulness seems to reduce that deficit to the point where we end up helping people. I guess that's what I try to do. I mean, I say those things and I, mostly I just experience a kind of like deficit when it comes to helping people. But I, I certainly don't think the government is the answer to, to much anything. Well, that's kind of what uh, those, the, see, people use what you're saying, which I know what you're meaning. Of course, these people that we cited in this article are using, or, well, more, more so, of course, the real fundamentalists of that party are using that same argument to say, this is not something we should have anything to do with government supporting any kind of uh, social situations because uh, government can't do it. For, they just take what you said and twist it in, right. a, in a different way. What, well, that's right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, well, well they do twist it. You know, they, they do twist it because they're, again, these are people with a very specific cadence and they've got a lot of people behind them who are backing them up. You know, that's clearly whoever, anyone you, who's a politician is the very top of a pyramid. They're standing on the shoulders of a variety of different people. Uh, and we don't know what they want. But yeah, I, but I do think it's, it's you, you do have to get to the point where like, look, you got to do it yourself. The government, do let's what? hope. Well, for example, if there's, take um, Wavy Gravy. What's that great foundation he has? We'll save a... Yeah. yeah. Blind, hearing blindness, yeah. Yeah. Like he didn't as far as I'm aware when he when he found out about blindness all over the world, he didn't petition whoever the president was at the time or the politicians or anyone to go and help blindness if he had. Who knows what would have happened. He just went and did it somehow. And and wow, look what he did. And when people do that, it's the most remarkable thing. It makes people like me who are like sitting around playing video games and, you know, getting stoned I have a podcast, but I'm certainly not, I have, I am 
fairly certain that in my 40 years of existence on this planet, I have not alleviated one person's blindness. But Wavy Gravy could probably list thousands of people that he has done that for, if not more. And I know there's no hierarchy or anything, and I'm sorry to like dehumanize him by putting him on a platform, but I do think that people can do so much right now. And something about dealing with politics reminds me of getting involved with a network or something where it's like, it's adding all this, like imagine if before you could do a podcast, before you could upload a podcast, there was a council of seven men and women that you had to sit down with and vote on the intricacies of the podcast and why we're putting it out and funding for the podcast and all this stuff. The, the essence of the podcast and the joy of this thing would be completely diminished. So in the same way, it's like if you start imagining that you're, the government's going to do anything and that somehow is keeping you from being active in just a basic way, that ridiculous exercise where you go and get a backpack and fill it up with food and blankets and Band-Aids and a towel or some soap, whatever you can fit in there, go give it to, go give it to a homeless person. You know, things like that. Don't wait for Cheney to do it. Like, the, you know, but you the, the, the concept is really smart. Like your advice, work on yourself so that you can help the people closest to you. Has with, That is the, to me, I have never heard a more utopian, that has within it the potential for a utopian. Well, not just close, closest to you. To any, I meant anybody who you happen to be in any kind of proximity to, whether they're close to you in terms of family or friends or not. So what you're saying, though, is you're talking about social action. You can pick up your hands and put them together and do different things that can help the planet, people, our brothers and sisters. You can yeah. do this, is what you're yes. saying. There, but there are still there's still another level of, of government when it relates to what they're talking about, where these people who have, they seem to have no heart because they are affecting by virtue of giving money for Medicaid. They are affecting by virtue of giving um, food stamp money. All of the social programs that they seemingly stand in complete opposition to, especially the far right, those are the kinds of things that really do make a difference. Health, the health, health, health care thing, obviously. Um, yeah. All of that. So then what do you what do you think? How do you get your head around it at that point? This is beyond what you're talking about. This is this is there is the reality of of a government and elected officials, however uh, off base that whole thing is by the Supreme yes. Court about giving money, the kind of money that allows these people to be controlled completely. Uh, aside from all of that, there yes. is a reality that people need help and the government has provided help uh, at different times over That's a right. long period of time, especially in uh, about social uh, uh, responsibility for pe for people. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be government programs to help people who are in need. I think there needs there are clearly we have to have that. Clearly we have to have that. And I I mean I can if if you want me to fly into a a, a, a just a spitting rant about <laughs> that's what I the, wanted. Uh, that's what I we want, David. At the, what, <laughs> at the beginning, you want to rile I'm going to read well, this no, article for, and just see how far he goes on this but, one. But, you know, aside, <laughs> you you have here's what you have. So you have like a, a, a small, a very, a relatively, you have a very, an enormous group of people, which is everyone living on planet Earth, and then you have this very small group of people, and those are the people who are the politicians that. Um, that everyone is imbued with all this power, or at least the politicians say, we have been imbued with this power. Uh, it's not really like the people are actually saying that. They say, though, the people said it when they voted. Well, not everyone voted, and a lot of people who did vote, uh, it didn't really matter because of the particular way that the electoral system works. So it's not really safe to say that you're imbued with power as much as to say that you have gotten very good at playing a specific game. And because of your acuity at this game and because of the funding that you've been that you've been given you've managed to worm your way into a position where the, there is this illusion that you have been imbued with power this is why i love that wonderful part of jesus christ superstar 
um, where, where, and I know maybe this is actually from the Bible, but uh, where Christ says, uh, Broadway any play, power Bible. you have, what's that? Bri- Broadway play, a Bible, it's all one. Yeah, it's, but it's it, great because he's, he says, he's, it's, it's Christ, I think he's talking to, to Pontius Pilate, and he says, any power you have comes to you from far beyond. Everything is fixed and you can't change it. And I love that because it reminds me of the Bhagavad Gita. It reminds me of Krishna talking to Arjuna on the, on the field of Kurukshetra and saying, oh, we've, I've devoured all of them. I'm time grown old. Uh, death, the, I've become death, the destroyer of the worlds. Look at my teeth, all of their bodies. I'm chewing everything up. So all you can really do is act without uh, a, attachment to the fruits of your action. But, uh, it, but it, simultaneously with the advice being given for this kind of devotion to the to God or this devotion to this thing that lies outside of time and space, this thing that if there is any kind of power that any of these people that you're talking about has, it's the kind of power that the moon has as it reflects the light of the sun. It's not that the moon is on fire. The moon is reflecting sunlight. And so sometimes, or, or perhaps these people are reflecting the power, the, the, the power chakra that other people are shining on them. And we see them as power, but they're not, they're just people and they're playing a game and the game was invented by people and uh sometimes the game helps but most of the time the game seems to hurt because we have uh we have a few major 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 power structures that are sucking all the money from the people and using them to kill we have the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex and the thing that drives me nuts the thing that drives me up the wall and, and makes my just stomach boil is not just that LSD is illegal. It's not just that there's a prohibition on, on psychedelics. It's not just that there are farmers in jail for marijuana. But it's that there is a massive amount of money being sucked out of the pockets of hardworking people all throughout this country that is being used to turn children into hamburger meat and to lock up alchemists and farmers in dungeons uh, for crimes that are not really crimes and that we have to support those people. Uh, we have to feed them and house them for doing nothing, nothing at all. In fact, they could benefit our society by using their chemistry skills and their agricultural skills to help get food and medicines to people who need it. But we've locked them up in the dungeons of uh, the corporations. So that drives me that drives me up the wall. And um, that what really drives me crazy is to imagine if we ended the prohibition on psychedelics, ended the prohibition on marijuana, uh, stopped all wars, brought our troops home, removed bases from places where they say we have a national interest. No, corporate interest, not a national interest, corporate interest. There's not a national interest in these places. There are, are, are uh, materials that they're, you're harvesting uh, to put in your, into phones or computers, nothing to do with the natural, it's corporate interest. It's like when that, this is what you wanted. It's like when that bigot <laughs> pig from Indiana, that, that, that vicious pig has just passed some ridiculous law, making it so that bigots can say no to gay people who want to come uh, to their business. And because all of a sudden, giant corporations are withdrawing from uh, Indiana saying, oh, okay, well, we'll just remove our $40 million facility that we're going to put there. Now he's hemming and hawing and being like, oh, it's not exactly what I meant, but <laughs> he's not, that's not the, vo- the no, the people, the, the people, not just the people in Indiana, but the people in the world don't want that to happen as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, what drives <laughs> yeah, no, me? That's I mean, good. That's the, good. And, and how okay, do the people, okay. I mean, we've got a tool now, you know, the, the internet is the true, the first real democratization of, That's right. of media and the first thing. And there's no question that people like that utter abominable a-hole from wherever he is who said that it was okay. It was uh, My religious freedom is being harmed by having to say yeah. that I have to serve gay people. He's not going to get away with it quite so quickly. I mean, that's my hope, you know, because there's oh, so God. many people now. Look, at I mean, the NCAA, the NBA, who would think that these athletic jock corporations would actually turn around instantaneously, like within hours of this, and go, oh, no, you're wrong. This is bad. You're a bad guy, and we don't like it. Can you imagine a guy like that not being liked by the NBA, 
by basketball people. Yeah. It must hurt him more than anything. Oh, they don't like does. me, darling. Maybe I should um, try and rephrase this or reword it. Okay, I'm just as angry as you. I mean, it is anger. I don't deny it. The difference, I guess, is that, you know, um, before the podcast, Rog and I were talking, and it, it, it's the 2000th end thing again, you know, that we know these people are ignorant and dangerous in some ways to other human beings' wellness. Um, but how how does one alchemize that into being a steady... You know, I was reading a Buddhist book recently, and it said that the essence of, 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 of great equanimity is indeed steadiness, a steadiness mm -hmm. of approach, not flying into rage, whatever. But one also has that part of one's mind which says if someone doesn't fly into a rage about this idiot, uh, he'd just do it. Right. And gay people in that state and maybe in others would be treated like dogs again. And that's a horrendous thought. So it's a very delicate balance, isn't it? I mean, it just always is. Being human is not necessarily easy. And being discriminating about how to... Not what the truth is of the matter. You just said it, Duncan. How could they be spending money that's totally based on corporatization of the world when there are people in need and those homeless junkies in Skid Row in Los Angeles are just there and everybody goes, okay, it's cool, it's there. They're there. That's right. You know, but, you know, we did a podcast with a veteran uh, yesterday, uh, Ryan, who, who's uh, organized uh, a, a, an ayahuasca solution for PTSD, and it's working, and he's got 350 vets who are traveling to Peru to be with a wow. shaman, and it's working beautifully. The mayor of Phoenix managed to get all the homeless people off the street in a pledge, an electoral pledge. So one has to sort of ride that horse a lot in order to maintain one's own equanimity. There are great things happening, and I, I know you know that, Duncan. And There are great things happening, but it's even greater than you... I mean, the, the thing is, so I think that there's a few things you could do right away. Number one, as much as possible, assert what you just said publicly. This is a great world we live in. You know, what's that... What, what do they used to... When I used to... went to, uh, I, I was raised Episcopalian, hmm. and there was something that they would say, that I still remember, which is, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I love that. I think that's a very beautiful mm. thing to say to yourself in the morning, no matter how awful you feel or how yes. miserable or whatever you just did the night before, to look out at this beautiful world. Uh, my friend calls it pressing reset. So you're sort of like, you, you're, you're looking at this world and you're hitting reset and you're saying, no, beautiful world, abundant world. Uh, uh, this is a world that ha I like to use the word God for. I like to use the word Krishna for the idea that here is a world that is emanating from the most beautiful thing in the universe. It's a perfect, beautiful place. So that's number one. Uh, and number two, what you know about Dunbar's number? No, no. Fascinating, fascinating thing. I just read about, there's a great book called abundance that you guys should read. It's really good, but they were, talking, they were talking about Dunbar's number, which is that apparently human beings can only have approximately 140 people in their head. A community can only have 140 connections in it, real connections. And so they organize – I think there's actually parts of the military organized based on this number, Dunbar's number. So think of Twitter. You can have as many followers as you want, right? Imagine if Twitter only allowed you to have 140 followers. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, if Twitter only let you have 140 followers, then you would have to be very careful about who you allow, who 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 you are following, because just a few crappy people that you're following on Twitter can ruin your Twitter timeline. Like all of a sudden, it can go from being an, a, a happy timeline. If you're following two depressed people, the thing is just going to be constantly tainted with someone's whining and complaining about the universe. <laughs> so it, in the same way, if we can only hold 140 interpersonal connections in our head, that means that we have to be very careful about who gets those 140 slots. So if one of those slots gets taken out up by Nancy Grace, and then another one gets taken up by Barack Obama, and another one gets taken up by Sarah Palin, and another one gets taken up by Bill O'Reilly, and another one gets taken up by, uh, you, you name it, Dick Cheney, and another one gets taken up by some bigot in Indiana, then the next thing you know, you have filled 
most of the your brain not with connections like Neem Karoli Baba, Ram Das, Raghu Marcus, David Silver, all the great saints, all the teachers, <laughs> Sharon Salzberg. You filled it up with like a little bit of that and a and, and a little bit of like some of the most poisonous, polluted, greedy, corrupted, delusional humans on earth. And that's gonna create some serious cognitive dissonance. When those two things are spinning around in the centrifuge of your mind, it can create a lot of wasted energy. So and the, the other thing that you can do, aside from acknowledging like this is a damn beautiful universe, is doing some spring cleaning up there in the part of your brain that holds those 140 people. Pretend it's a hotel and go from door to door. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Hey, Mr. O'Reilly, I'm sorry. Uh, you haven't paid your bill in a few weeks. You're going to have to leave by this afternoon. If you can, get them out of there. Don't tune in if you can. And then guess what? If you've gotten rid of O'Reilly and Grace and uh, and, and Reagan but out how of your does, brain. Wait, how did Obama get in there, though? <laughs> I, he's nice. Well, you know, I just mean. Obama, we don't really but, know him, I think. Is what, don't, I don't yeah. know. It's like, it's just one of those, like, he's like an idol for me. I don't know Obama. I don't know what he's like when he's not working. I don't know what he's like when he doesn't have a cadence. I don't know anything about that guy. So he's an idol. I, I've imbued him with some notion of whoever I think he may be. Hmm. It can't possibly be right. So well, instead of having him floating around up there, why not? fill his wing of your mind with some if you're going to put idols listen if you're going to put idols in your brain put a monkey god up there put batman put something that has is is a little more ability to instill with you the passion or the uh compulsion to be nice nicer to people uh I, so i think that's another thing you can do is clear out those parts of your brain that are housing uh, uh scumbags <laughs> Thank you very much. I think, yes, yes. this will be the uh, uh, the cornerstone. It'll be the title of our podcast. Clean out the cogs and webs of your brain of ass webs. Evict. Brain evictions. Yeah, brain eviction. There we go. Thank I you. love brain that. Brain eviction. Write that down. You know, the only way that that's possible is something you did say, which is less joking around, the reset button. The reset button is probably the most important and critical uh, leverage that we have so we can get rid of the cobwebs that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, really. Uh, it's uh, and, and again, uh, Sharon Salzberg, she makes a big deal out of it. She talks about every moment. I mean, it talks about it as the blessing of every moment. Like if you're sitting and you're... you're doing one-pointed meditation, vipassana, uh, following the breath. And then you realize, maybe after probably 10, 20 minutes, if you're new to it, you realize that you've been thinking, cotton, you know, you've just been thinking. You haven't, you haven't been following the breath. You can hit the reset button. That's the beauty. Any moment you can hit that reset button. Yes. Right? And, uh, and that applies to... Uh, that prayer. Say that prayer again. I love that. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. That's the that's a reset button, right? For Absolutely sure. a reset button. Yes. And and of course resetting from a night of being lost in, in terrifying <laughs> dreams or anything like that. Yes. Uh is uh is certainly a big part. Did you have a terrible dream last night? No, I, I no. But it was because you were saying, "What the fuck are dreams?" And I don't want to be part of it. It was bedeviling. <laughs> I was I was cleaning a massive, a sort of obscenely massive bathroom with hundreds of toilets and sinks, with a lot of French children speaking <laughs> oh, <right>. French. <laughs> so it was okay for a while because they were nice children. But then when I woke up, I was so relieved. I reset. Okay, I'm not in that bathroom anymore. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like life itself. You know, we get so messed up about all of this, but we know from ancient wisdoms that this dream as tangible as it may seem and as serious as it may seem and everything is a is a passing show it is because we know <coughs> so many people who are not in the show anymore from shakespeare to my dad and yes. they're all not there in fact there are 7.5 billion people on the planet and i think i read somewhere there are about 7 billion people who've lived and died on the planet wow wow so maybe it's just a constant, and we're just swapping bodies endlessly until we get to the point where it's like, 
It's, you know, it's you know, Nirvana. Do you know what Jimi Hendrix said about reincarnation? No, asked, what did Jimi Hendrix say? He said, of course there has it. Well, there, of course there's reincarnation. What, all those people are going to be stuffed somewhere? Just, <laughs> where are they going to go? No, of course yeah. there's reincarnation. He said this well, in an interview in the late 60s. Actually. Well, and also, huh. you know, the stuff wow. coming out with epigenetics is pretty amazing. I don't know if you guys are aware no. of that, but... So the they just did this uh, fascinating and, and and awful experiment where they took mice and they uh, electrocuted okay. their feet while exposing them to the smell of cherry blossoms. You heard about this? Yes, no. you talked about it, Raghu. Actually, you did. I, I'm saying that seriously. A long time ago, oh, 50, really? 50 podcasts back. It's the concept <laughs> it's that our life is in podcasts now. <laughs> it, it, it's that it's that it's the the so the mice had gained this phobia of cherry blossoms because they're getting electrocuted whenever they smell them. Mice have babies. The babies. Oh yes, right. Are right. now terrified Jeans. of cherry blossoms. So yes, but it's now the implications of that are insane, and uh, the implications of that are that. First of all, what gene we say genes, but like wearing a baby mouse is the gene for cherry blossom aversion. Like how detailed are these? And what else is in there that we, we're not testing for? What about all the good stuff that gets in there too? So uh, this this leads to the idea that contained within our genetic structure is the memories of not just our parents, but our ancestors. So when we say, oh, they've left the scene, it's like, well, their physical bodies aren't here anymore, but what we're looking at them from the perspective of past, present, future, and they're something that is now in the past, we're something in the present. Uh, but if you look at things from a everything's happening at once moment, then you and Raghu and me and everyone on the planet are the very tip of these temporal uh, tentacles that are immortal and are passing memories genetically from one generation to the next. And these tentacles go all the way back through all great teachers to proto-hominid life to uh, whatever was before proto-hominid life to uh, single-celled organisms to uh, eventually stars exploding to the singularity. So we're looking at this actual immortal being which consists of all family lines and it's passing information not just via written word or however we encode data in the external universe but in our very chromosomes, which makes us think, oh, well, you know, reincarnation, past life memories could very easily be tuning into some genetic memory encoded inside of you. And now that science is backing it up, it really does, uh, it really does lend credence to all those people who have had past life memories on psychedelics or mm -hmm. through hypnosis. It's fascinating. So, yeah, I don't think that those billions of people are necessarily not here. I just think that the way that they're here is uh, genetically or the way that they're here is they actually – if there's no – don't you ever think about that? There's no time, which means that our parents are still alive, that their lives are happening at this very moment, that every life that ever existed is happening all at the same time and that it's the illusion of – past present and future that makes us believe that that that's that's gone no i do i i, I do i do <laughs> i do i do i do because well, it's I've, just it, it's it I, seems okay. obvious to me that, that that we only know of three dimensions even yes. four is really hard for us what about 110 trillion dimensions yeah and, and i mean exactly. you know i it, it, it like someone asks you how old you are you say 40 you know but you're not. You're 15 billion years old. The same molecules that were in the stars that exploded and then into the dinosaurs are in That's us. That's right. And our molecules will be in something in, you know, it, cause, hey... So, you know, that's as much as I can say about this because I know Isn't nothing Isn't that wild? Yeah. How old are you? How old are you is actually... How long have you been outside of a vagina and... That's it. It doesn't really mean anything. It's like that's it's the that's it. How long have you? <laughs> that's your age. Just your age conjures is the, up so many images, though. When you say you, it like that. your age starts when you are pushed out of a vagina, the clock starts ticking. That's your that's your age. What that's like the, the age of the your current form. It. You're it's so funny though. It's like yeah, no, actually, like infinite is my. I'm an an infinite being that for whatever reason has gotten fixated 
on this particular physical body. Uh, and that's where we're at right now. But I'm definitely not 40 or 60 or 70 or 10. Uh, I'm, I'm some kind of infinite thing that has gotten confused into believing that it has a meat body. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah. Ramdas says that very same thing every time his birthday comes around. Does what he really? Birthday for what? For this body? This isn't who I am. I'm not going to have a birthday for this body. This is not. You know, that's exactly yeah. just what you it's said. So, yeah, it's um, such a cur- curious thing. By the way, um, the uh, do you know who the 17th Karmapa is? I think I've heard you talk about him You've before. heard me, yeah, because the 16th was, was one of those siddhas, completely finished, realized beings. So... Uh, he died in the early 80s, and now the 17th is this young man. He's like 30 years old, 30, 31, and he's in the States right now. He was, he spoke at Stanford. He's speaking. Ah. He just spoke at Harvard. And when cool. he was at Harvard, uh, I, I just to, I've said this more than once on, on the podcast, but just uh, I don't know if I've said it to you, but I did happen to meet him. I had. Uh, with uh, Sharon Salzberg and Christian Austin, a couple of friends in his hotel room in Washington about three, uh, two and a half years ago. And I had met the, his predecessor. And we just hung out and ta- he was just talking. It was worldly stuff. There was no teach, no nothing. He was just yes. being completely natural in the moment. And then uh, he came and thanked uh, every one of us for coming and, you know, held our hands and thank you in a, in a namaste kind of thing and put, a, you know, the silk scarf that they do, kata. And in that moment, I, I was like, holy shit, this is the same thing that I met. Like, you know, it was in the early 80s. I, I, I grokked, or, you know, or I understood beyond my mind that thing that whatever it is that goes from one thing to another, one body to another, whatever it is, I experienced that in that moment. Wow. And I was, I was utterly uh, like a stone for hours. That's an amazing story, Rago. You, in other words, you met both these guys. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know you met the 16th. Yeah. And you felt that the 17th had actually inherited his, yeah, his yeah, aura, totally. his thing. Anybody you meet, and you, wow. you, they'll tell you just about. So as he's at Harvard... His pre- the predecessor, the body before the sixteenth, also spoke at Harvard. Okay, wow. in the same at the Harvard Divinity School, and wow. he, when he got up there, he said, "It's a pleasure to be back again at the Harvard Divinity School." <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool! Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think. See, I think that what what's really beautiful about what, what's happening is we get deeper and deeper into translating what's going on inside the human body is that we're going to be able to decode that stuff with increasing accuracy. And, you know, mm-hmm. how does it work? How would a soul transfer from one body to the next? All that, that, all that stuff is a kind of primitive way of understanding it. But if we find out that there are genetic memories encoded in us, the question then is how detailed are these? Is it just phobias? Is it just like aversions to certain things or, or predilections to go to certain places? Or is it deeper than that? And if it, or is it actual memories? Are, are we encoding memories inside of us? Is this DNA or this stuff that we're made of? We don't know, but we don't know much about We don't know. We don't completely understand it. And it might be a completely. more powerful storage device than we're aware of. And if that's the case, that means that when you have a reincarnated person – Perhaps what's happening is that they've been taught to tune in to the specific frequency uh, represented by the personality that they're incarnating. Okay, you know when you, they, so here's where, where it goes south for me. I'm surprised you, it already hasn't gone yeah. south. I'm not sure what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's very interesting. It is very interesting. And, of course, but... Uh, where it goes south is when you say maybe they were taught it's maybe they were it's like there's a level that nothing is taught nothing is happening whatsoever and it is beyond we you talked about time and space where there is yeah. no time and space i i i can attest to that there is a reality there and in the moment that i i the, the this man this lama karmapa 
held my hand and whatever. I got completely connected with him. Whenever you touch a human being, that happens. And I had that, um, that understanding had nothing to do with my mind. I couldn't understand anything from mm-hmm. that point of view. It was something beyond that, completely, right. utterly beyond that. And it's that right. same thing, uh, you know, to return to the very beginning of this podcast when we talked about that intimate connectivity that we have that was exemplified by these two people, by Ramdas and KK. The intimacy of that, the, which is a reality, the reality of that, that to me is all that counts. We can all mm. share that and be there yes. in that moment anytime we want. But we, it, it's, we need to get the getting there, which is, again, not time and space. You need reset buttons. You need practices. And a reset button is a huge practice. So um, just wanted to lay That's that great. In there. That's why I love I was talking waiting, to you. <laughs> I was waiting all podcasts just to be able to. <laughs> I wanted you. you to go completely off the uh, off the end. And, I, well, and that's you and what, David that's, do. You always do. It's perfect. I love it. But you're so good at pulling me back <laughs> yeah, into, right. the, into that I should that pull moment. myself back a little bit. <laughs> when I read this shit in the papers about what these people are doing and my initial reactions to them, you know, the... the uh, the fundamentalist, basically fundamentalist anywhere. And we can go on and on about that. Yeah. Uh, but I, we I, went I wanted to yeah, just say sorry. something about that. Yes. The, to me, the miracle is that, you know, we're talking, and you know, Duncan's talking extremely expertly about these amazingly complex decodings, you know, that we could get into uh, about the transmission. Metempsychosis is yeah. the word for it. Right? Um, and yet we come, we, 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 we shake hands or we hug KK and we know that from the roots of his being, he has total trust and faith, not just reincarnation, but the oneness, the oneness of, of, of being, you know? Yes. And that's where it gets really interesting, where an old skeptic like me, and I was one at the age of 18, suddenly that's all swept away by the miracle of contact with someone who is mm, right. so mm. much closer to that sort of eternal truth than one has been. And, and, I love that miracle yeah. because that it's so, an alchemy that you can't deny. It just yeah. happens. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. yeah. Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah. my favorite thing. Whenever you get that, it's so incredible, undeniable. You can't figure it out. It's bigger than you. Mm. It's mm. way bigger than you. And that's one of the greatest things we realize. You know, I got that feeling when I went to Varanasi for the first time in mm. India. Mm. And it's that same like... W- feeling of like, oh, I will not figure this out. I've walked in halfway through a joke. I don't know the beginning of it, <laughs> but I know yeah. that it's way, way big. Not a joke, but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like yeah. it's yeah. so much bigger than what you can understand. And hmm. that creates the most amazing, exhilarating feeling and it get and that's a reset for sure. That's yeah. a reset because big the opposite time, feeling is a big, big, big time reset. Yeah, yeah, the end of the world they call Benares, Varanasi, Benares. You know, its original name is Kashi, which is no, a, I didn't. Yeah, Kashi Kalashi. It's a it's a name for Shiva, the god of death. So, um, hey, we've we've done something really bad. We've gone through this whole podcast not following your rules. You taught us that at the very beginning of the podcast, we needed to ask people for support and talk to them about the Amazon portal, the audible.com free trial, or just donate. Or We have these incredible t-shirts now. I saw them. They look great. Yeah, they look really great. And now here we are at the very tip-tip end of our podcast. No one's listening anymore. Right. Thanks. This is a after tough those guru. Brutal, after those brutal rants I went on, trust me. <laughs> if anyone's listening right now, it's because they fell asleep. Their, yeah. their earbuds are still in. There's yeah, no right. one listening. You've got to uh, go back and re-record at the beginning. Oh, uh, come on. Really? Because people, and then they get mad at us because we're harping on and on. No, we'll do a bumper. We'll do a bumper. It's called a bumper. Do a bumper. Yeah. yeah you got to do, do a bumper. People, here's the thing. If people get mad, for advertising in a podcast. And and from time to time they do. And oh, it's so okay. it's so it's so curious when that happens because you can literally if you pull up whatever the waveform is you're listening to, jump ahead any number of minutes and you'll skip the advertising. Yeah, I thought that myself. I didn't yeah, what, understand what is why a, could there yeah. be who could be mad at us when you can just skip forward? It's well, that's to me where it's interesting because it means that they're so lazy 
They're lazy oh. in the weirdest way because they're they're too lazy to jump ahead a few minutes, but they're motivated enough to send you a Twitter message telling you <laughs> to redesign your entire website so that they don't have to exert the mm -hmm. amount of energy it would take to jump ahead two minutes. That's like, I bet it costs seven calories to, to move the mouse so that you jump <laughs> ahead a few minutes. But rather than exert those calories, they expect you to rework your entire podcast. It's very strange to me. Just jump ahead. It's not like that. It's, it's, you, the advertisements aren't that terrible. How long are you guys doing on the advertisements? Uh, we, I don't we once no, we once went nuts and did like fourteen minutes or something, and then but we were and recommending then, stuff. It yeah, wasn't no, just... we, it was cool too. We were funny and everything. But the truth of the matter <laughs> is hope. that when I re responded to a complainer and said you can jump ahead and do all that and don't be so damn linear, he or she said, <laughs> "But you're taking time from the podcast. In other words, you're taking those minutes." That could be spent talking about Ramdas or Duncan or Elvis Presley or something, you know, and that's really silly. Okay, well, well, you shouldn't limit the time of the podcast. We don't. Guys. I mean, we don't. So I, I, we answered that. But back and forth, back and forth. Okay, well, let's not do this anymore because this is really pissing people off now. Okay, that we're complaining about complainers. It's really, uh, oh yeah, it's now really we're the exact same. Now we're the yeah, same. we're we're the same, and and that's what it boils down yeah, to, everybody. We're, by we're the way, terrible. everything that you see outside you is inside us as well, and yep. uh, Hello. really, Hello. Um, there is, as uh, John and the rest of his mates said. All there is is love. There really is. All there is is love. And getting together with you is just all of that for us, Duncan. Yeah. Really Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. We love you. I love you guys, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So mindrolling.com and uh, mindpod.com, duncantrusselfamilyhour.com. Go there. Duncantrussell.com. Oh, what happened to the family hour? Well, it's just DuncanTrussell.com. Oh, that's where okay. it's at. It is called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. I bet if you put Duncan Trussell Family Hour, you're going to get Duncan anyhow. Yes, so you'll find it's it. It's all good. Anyhow, uh, yeah, just uh, join us. We've got some... Oh, by the way, go to Duncan's site because... Uh, or go to... Or uh, you just uh, subscribe to uh, uh, iTunes to Duncan Trussell because he did a, uh, a, a Family uh, Hour episode with Jack Cornfield. Yeah. That is so hip. I mean, yeah, I love it. it. I yeah. love when Duncan cool. does. And we're going to have one coming. Uh, Jack's got one coming up on on MindPod Network as well uh, with Duncan. So we we keep doing these kinds of things. And we have, you know, we want to do more. And, and, and again, thanks for facilitating that as well, my buddy. My pleasure. I love hanging out with you guys. I'm so lucky that you're my friends. Uh, all right. Mutuality. We'll see you Mutuality. next time. And, uh, see you next time. Yeah. Ciao, Duncan. Be good. Hare Krishna. Bye. <laughs>